Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 3 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Miracle of a First Night by Lisa Ann Samuels December 26, 1891 Light snow fell softly, adding an air of fantasy to the normal gray pallor of late December in London. Natalie Hart barely noticed as she trudged along the streets of Whitechapel, her nose stuffed deep in her small journal. It was a luxury, a small one, but a luxury nonetheless. The soft kid leather cover was dyed apple green and there was a small holder for her nubbly pencil. The journal was one of Natalie's prized possessions, one of the few reminders of her father's household she dared keep. It also allowed her to ignore the gentleman striding alongside her, attempting to match his step to hers. It wasn't that he was unattractive, quite the opposite, actually. His tall frame cut a handsome figure in the haze that filled the late afternoon. Even with his brown hair hidden under the ridiculous beaver-skin klopek and false peyote, and wearing a long black coat, he looked nothing like he should if he were a student of the yeshiva. The ministry seamstresses had done their best and managed to cobble together this costume at the last moment, but as far as Natalie was concerned, they'd missed their mark. "'Miss Hart, please explain to me again the significance of this manner of clothing.' As I said before, Mr. Brooks, I truly do not know. Those are the mysteries for the men. You will have to ask my father when we get there. But we must get there in time for you to ask your questions. Now please, hurry. Natalie's English was impeccable, but her slightly clipped accent spoke of shores further afield than those of Great Britain. I do not see the point of all this rushing, Wellington Brooks muttered under his breath as once again he urged his feet to match the rapid rhythm his companion was enforcing. It was not seemly for a gentleman to walk this quickly through the park, no matter the reason. Mr. Books, we must be there by sunset, or we will not be allowed in the door. All holidays and festivals begin as the sun sets. That is the law, and my father is quite the stickler for the law. Yes, Miss Hart, you did explain that. You also explain that tonight is the first night of the Festival of Lights, which is your people's winter holiday, somewhat like Christmas. Natalie stopped short and turned on her companion, ire smoking from the dainty ears that were mostly hidden beneath both an abundant number of pinned-up curls and a somewhat refined but modest hat. No, Mr. Books, Hanukkah is nothing like Christmas. We are celebrating the miracle of one day of oil burning for eight. We are celebrating the end of a war that lasted more than seven years, and that end allowed our faith to continue. We are celebrating not having to bow down to Greek idols. We are celebrating the rededication of our temple and the retaking of Jerusalem. We are decidedly not celebrating the birth of a small child born in a barn no matter how special your people think he was. 
The force of her words was much like a hammer. Books bent backwards, trying to avoid them, as well as Natalie's finger, which was now just inches from his nose. My apologies, Miss Hart. I did not realize I was touching such a sore point. Natalie felt her normally porcelain cheeks turn bright pink and quickly covered them with her daintily gloved fingers. Less than a year ago, she would never have spoken to a man who was not in her family, let alone scolded him in the street. Living among the Gentiles of London had definitely changed her from the meek child of the Hasidic community, M.P. Samuel Montague, one of the first of the Jewish community to be styled a member of Parliament, had introduced him Dr. Sound just after Passover. Only Natalie wasn't sure she liked whom she was changing into. Oh, Mr. Books, I, I am... I, I, I do not know what to say. The ever-gentle Mr. Book smiled softly as he straightened, dusting invisible motes from his impeccably lax sleeves. No need to say anything, Miss Hart. I'm sure this is a difficult assignment for you. Natalie sighed, fingers still lingering on her cheeks. I did not think it would be quite so difficult, nor did I ever believe I would be sent on assignment at all. I'm merely a clerk, a junior one at that and I am an archivist. We do what we must when the ministry requires. I suppose. But to my father's home? To him I'm dead. Oh, I'm sure that's not true. No? He sat Shiva for me when I left, rather than marry the man he chose for me. Shiva? Our period of mourning the dead. Books stopped again and stared at Natalie slack-jawed. But that's barbaric! You are very much alive! Not in my community, Mr. Books, she replied softly. I wonder what Mr. Montague had to do to convince him to allow me to return home. Now we really must hurry. The sun is sliding to the west, and we cannot be late. Books shook his head and stepped forward, offering his arm to Natalie in the process. She smiled quietly. Mr. Books, we talked about this. It's not that I don't appreciate the gesture, but if we are to be observant Jews, we must not be seen to touch, especially in your role of rabbinical student. He dropped his arm, the corners of his mouth tugging downward at the same time. Ah, yes, those blasted rules. They do have their place, sir. I am sure they do just not in modern society. Natalie smiled and bobbed her head towards the street ahead. We're almost there. Shall we continue? Books nodded and started walking towards the boundary that marked the change from modern Victorian London, from the sanctuary of those who chose to live in the ghetto, home to the Orthodox Jews new to London, but lately of Eastern Europe. It was now also home to rumors of a singing menorah and monsters, such as the Gollum, roaming the streets of London, instead of roaming mythology where they belonged. From the set of his shoulders, Books was truly looking forward to the adventure. Natalie, on the other hand, was dreading it for more reasons than one. On the surface, the house of Rebbe Hart had not changed. The large townhome was filled with the smells of latkes and sofakanyot, the wonderful jelly donuts her mother always made this time of year. 
the heavenly aroma of frying foods almost masked the scent of her favorite dish of the festival, roasted goose. Its crisp skin encrusted with garlic and paprika, surrounded by potatoes and onions. Natalie could imagine the applesauce for the latkes bubbling on the stove next to the simis. Just thinking of simis filled her mouth with the rich flavor of the stew of carrots, plums, and potatoes. She hadn't realized how much she'd missed home until her mouth began to water for this small taste of the festival. She ached to get into the kitchen, roll up her sleeves, throw on an apron, and help with something, anything. But she knew most of the preparation had happened long before now. The meal was almost done as sundown was rapidly approaching. No work at all happened after sundown in the Ribby's house. Besides, she could not leave Agent Books on his own in this lion's den. Shalom Alechem! Good Yom Tov! The Rebbe's deep-accented voice boomed through the long, well-appointed foyer, reaching Natalie and Agent Books as they stood just inside the doorway, well before they saw him. It was a voice crafted for leadership through years of training on the bima, guiding his congregation in reading the Torah and chanting of the prayers. But to Natalie, the boom of his voice meant only one thing, her father's immense disappointment in his only daughter. She did her best, but she could not hide her flinch completely. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Agent Books stand a little straighter, preparing to be a gentleman meeting her father for the first time. "'You are just in time! We are in need of a minion for the candlelighting. Will you join us, no?' "'Father?' "'A moment, Bobola. I'm speaking to the stalwart Yeshiva Bochar.' Natalie's gray-blue eyes bulged. Bobola? Her father hadn't called her a sweet thing in years, but even more troubling was his calling books a rabbinical student. She realized that Mr. Montague must have convinced her father to invite them both by overstating books' rabbinical knowledge. Any moment now, books would open his mouth only to have a gentrified and decidedly British accent emerge, destroying the illusion of a student of Hebrew and Torah. He's mute, Natalie said hastily, and with far more volume than she intended. As soon as the words escaped her mouth, it seemed as though the entire house fell silent. Natalie held her breath, focusing her eyes on the floor directly in front of her toes. The black and white tiles made her think of growing up in the house of the Rebbe. The Rebbe may teach his students that the Torah provides shades of gray that must be discussed and recorded in the Talmud, but those teachings were for his students, all men of great intellectual or oral distinction. No woman was allowed to even enter the room where these discussions took place. For Natalie, growing up under his thumb was stifling. Her role as his daughter was to become someone he could barter off in the perfect political union. Even now, her father questioned her decision to leave the endless duties of a Rebbe's wife before she became one in reality, a reality she was barely able to escape. Book's hands on her arm brought her back to their current dilemma. Natalie was now their only mouthpiece in a world that focused all its pride on the men of the community, regulating the women to the tasks of cooking, cleaning, and childbearing. How would they be able to ensure they got what they wanted without breaking their cover? 
Then Natalie noticed he was gesticulating with his hands. It was as though he was trying to say something, something Natalie could not interpret at all. Natalie's heart sank as she realized the only thing that would get them out of this mess her lying had created. Libling, would you like the notebook? Book's eyes softened as he nodded. Natalie reached into her purse and brought out her precious notebook. She gripped it tightly before handing it over to Books. It was the only way, but giving him her notebook meant trusting him with her life's work. If only the Rebbe wasn't staring at her with steely eyes, steel with a hint of brass. Together they were ever so hard. Just as when she lived under his roof, she felt as though her father was reading into the depths of her soul. And now, just as then, it was not the most comfortable of situations. Natalie began looking for a quick exit from her father's silent interrogation. I thought I heard my Shana Madel. Rebbe, why are you holding them here in the foyer? I need my daughter's hands in the kitchen. Natalie's mother, Rachel, was covered head to toe with flour, most likely a combination of challah making the night before, sufaganyot this afternoon, and every other dish that would be served for the party following the lighting of the first candle. While her apron, dress, and face were covered in flour, every other part of her was neat as a pin. Her hair was tidily hidden under a beautiful snood, which was completely clear of flour, as were her hands. Her maman was a force to reckon with. That much was clear. In just seconds and a handful of words, she had wrested Natalie from her father's control. Unfortunately, there was not much that could be done for agent books. Hopefully he would be able to manage to find what they needed with just the notebook, but she still was not sure what they were looking for or why her father's home was the only place in all of London they could search. Truly there had to be another rabbi, another devout Jew, whose home held the item Dr. Sound was so intent on finding. She hoped books had more information. Suddenly, Rachel was pulling at Natalie's elbow, shaking her from her thoughts and preventing what could have been a disastrous crash into the door jamb between the foyer and the dining room. What? Have you gone blind in your few months alone, Shana? Watch you don't become a klutz. Off living on your own. Did I not teach you how important family is? Maman, I'm fine. No, you are too skinny and still not married. And don't tell me that Goyesha Bukhar you brought with you is your fiancé. Your father might buy that schlock, but I do not. Mama! Natalie stopped short, her breath coming in short gasps as she tried to fend off a panic attack. Rachel turned toward her dumbfounded daughter with a smile. What? You take me for a shmeel? Your maman was not born yesterday. Now those latkes won't fry themselves. Kumit mir. Rachel swished past the infinitely long dining table and through the door into the cramped kitchen the women of her world called home. A crowded home Natalie wanted nothing to do with. The constant forced camaraderie was part of the reason she left in the first place. She sighed as she removed her jacket meticulously laying it across one of the high-backed dining room chairs, then rolled her sheer sleeves to her elbows. In for a penny, in for a pound, right? Besides, it had been more than a year since she'd cooked with family. Natalie just hoped she could find a space in the kitchen she could claim as her own. As she pushed through the hinged door, she sent a silent prayer that Agent Books was doing far better than she seemed to be. 
The Rebbe's library was a joy of warm woods, high shelves, desks, and the distinct smell of old paper and ancient glue. Books was in his element, but not completely comfortable. The shackles Ms. Hart had placed on his tongue were holding him back from rummaging through each and every item in the office. The Rebbe had brought him into this wondrous room once the ladies left the foyer for the kitchen, thinking it might be prudent to have their discussion, such as it would be with only one side able to discuss anything, in a room where they would not be disturbed. The women avoid this room like it will bring Soros on the house if they even enter to dust, the Rebbe said as he lit one of the two gas lamps along the papered walls. He looked up in time to see Book's rather confused expression. Soros! You know, troubles? Bad luck? Book's face lit up as soon as the Rebbe spoke in English, nodding quickly, hoping he hadn't given himself away. But the Rebbe was not so easily fooled. He looked Book's up and down for a moment before muttering something else in Yiddish that Book's did not catch. Book's tried to cover by searching the strange items Mr. Montague brought to the attention of Dr. Sound that morning. He started by scanning the bookshelves as serpendipitously as he could, hoping to find at least one of the items Dr. Sound had described. You find what you are looking for? It was the fiercely restrained quiet of the Rebbe's voice that made Books jump. He fumbled for the notebook Miss Hart had given him as they separated, hoping to write something quickly to cover his actions. Amazing how tongue-tied one could be, even if they were not expected to speak. No need to carry on the spiel, sir. Your payas are obviously horsehair. Oy, my home invaded by this goyish agent on this holy night. What was my daughter thinking? Chutzpah! Obviously vexed, the rebbe ran his hand through his beard, fraying the already slightly wild whiskers even more. Feh, you can go through the window. You would not drop far. No one can know you are here. This is a kosher home, and you a goy. She was thinking she needed to do what she was told, Eitan. Now stop your complaining. Leave that poor boy alone. The strong, soft voice startled the Rebbe out of his frantic attempts to shove books towards the nearest window, causing both men to turn towards the library door. There stood a refined, if portly, gentleman, top hat squarely on his head, and a gilded walking stick in his hand. Books recognized him instantly as Samuel Montague, a well-respected member of Parliament, and a special friend to the ministry. He was also a prominent member of the London Jewish community, albeit a more liberal member than the Rebbe seemed to be. This is your doing, Schmiel? Of course, Eitan. You think I would allow one of my oldest friends to be alone to worry about strange happenings in his home? No, I would send the best. An agent books is the best at what he does. And what is that, besides defiling my home, the home of a Rebbe? You need to overcome your prejudices, my friend, Montague said with a broad smile. Not all Christians are the enemy. Books was shocked. He had never seen the MP with an upturned mouth, let alone a smile so broad it lit his eyes. Boy, you know nothing. The Goyim would rather we all converted or died. What did I just live through, no? You, my friend, have been here for ten years. There has not been a pogrom since you left Warsaw. 
you are safe here. And what of Odessa? The rabbi was becoming more and more agitated. A sheen of perspiration began at his collar and quickly covered his reddened face, turning the white-haired man into a beat. Montague's face fell a bit as he placed both hands on top of his walking cane, one draped over the other. I call Odessa a tragedy, but not a pogrom. Not in the sense that whole villages vanished, men, women, and children. At least in Odessa they may be beaten, but they are still quite alive. Not all of them. Book's breath stalled in his chest as he was caught between the two men. Neither was exceptionally tall, but both carried themselves with such strength he felt as though he was a gazelle stuck between two great lions. He looked from one stony face to the other, each so filled with the crags and ledges of life spent under siege. Papa! Uncle Schmiel! The voice from the doorway, high-pitched with a bite strong enough to break through the silent battle of the library, was a voice that demanded all three men turn towards the door. To be honest, Books was surprised. He had never heard Natalie speak so sharply. Then again, he had never seen her face bright with anger, slicked with sweat, nor carrying a piece of round dough in arms that were covered to her elbows with flour. We have guests downstairs, and I do not want to schlep another loaf of challah up the stairs to scold you again. Do you understand? Books, weren't you supposed to keep this civilized? Uh... Don't just sit there catching flies. Do something. Oi, the koi is a grossier pots, no? You, Mr. Books, are here for a job, so do it. The natural cadence of her voice was unfamiliar to Books' ears. Not that he had met her more than once or twice, but the few times they had met, her voice held notes of High Street, perhaps an excellent finishing school. But now he was not sure he would recognize her on the streets of East London if he passed her by. After another disgusted look at the three men in the room, the transformed Natalie Hart turned on her heel and vanished around the corner into the world of women inhabited in this foreign universe books had wandered into. She was correct. Of course she was. Dr. Sound sent him here to this place for a reason. He just needed to find that reason. All he had to do was slip between two whoring friends, one a rebbe with command of the place, and one a member of parliament and a special friend to the ministry. How hard could that really be? Gentlemen! The word came out a bit squeakier than books would have liked, so he cleared his throat and tried again. <clears throat> Gentlemen! As my voice is no longer a state secret, I feel it is my obligation to move this investigation along. Perhaps obligation was too strong a word. Books quickly learned where Natalie received the ability to go from a pale face to one as red as a beet in seconds. Your obligation? You knocker! I should copy on the head if only to take this ridiculous face off and put them in the rubbish bin where they belong. That may be, Rebbe, although I do not know exactly what you were saying. No, please do not translate. I will take it that you do not mean me well. But, Rebbe, with all respect, I was sent here on a mission, and I intend to complete it. And what mission was that, Goyam? You know what he is looking for, Etienne. 
just give it to the boy. If you think I would just give a precious piece of Judaica to just any Kunyalmel who waltzes in off the streets, you have become more Moshuga and like the Goyam I, than I thought. For that I am sorry, Shmuel. It will mean I lost a friend. So there is an artifact. Books quietly scanned the bookcases again, searching for anything that looked new or out of place. Again, he came up empty. Get it, Etienne, now. The Rebbe took one long last look at his friend, the fully assimilated Samuel Montague, shook his head and began muttering full sentences in Hebrew. Or was it Yiddish? Whatever it was, books could neither catch the words nor understand them. Yet again, he had to guess, and his guesses were, again, leaning towards the negative. For the life of him, he could not comprehend why the Rebbe didn't want to understand that he and Natalie were here to help. So he wasn't Jewish. He was a member of Her Majesty's government, and therefore completely reliable. Books watched as the Rebbe walked over to a corner of his well-appointed area rug, still muttering, but this time with some cadence. The Rebbe knelt at the rug, pulled up the fringe, and reached underneath to a hidden compartment in the floor. Reverently, he pulled one of the most beautiful candelabra he had ever seen. And then the Rebbe turned and brought it to books. Where do you wish it to be? I'm sorry? Where do you wish this to be? I I'm so sorry. I, I came looking for a dangerous artifact, and you are giving me a candelabra? I, I don't mean to offend. It is beautiful, but hardly dangerous, sir. With a disgusted look, the Rebbe marched over to his desk and placed the eight-candle candelabra down in the center before turning his ire onto books. There! This menorah is hunted by the Dubik. It came to us from a village in Odessa, a village that no longer exists. The Tsar took care of that. Now I have told you all that I know. Objects that hold the Dubik should not be handled and definitely should not be studied. When the Dubik comes for you in the night, it is not on my head. Rebbe, from my limited understanding of Kabbalah, the Dubik will only possess honorable and pious men or women, correct? Can I take your concern as you believing I am an honorable and pious? Books asked solemnly. The Rebbe threw his hands in the air and stomped towards the door, muttering under his breath. Intrigued by the beautiful handiwork sitting in front of him, Books turned his attention from the Rebbe's theatrics, choosing to study the bronze menorah instead. He stared studiously at the intricate carvings so intensely, he barely noticed the breeze that filled the room. The menorah was replete with what appeared to be peaks and valleys of a map. At intervals lay semi-precious stones, gently 
sitting atop a center gear, which then meshed with one or two other gears. In all, there were 12 combinations of jewels and gears. Books reached out to touch one of the sets of gears when there was a pop, then a hiss. Suddenly, flame fluttered out of all nine branches. As soon as the flame settled, the center gear began to move. It started slowly, catching first one gear, then another. Books instantly pulled his hand back, taking a step or two away from the desk, straightening as he withdrew. Soon, all twelve sets of gears were in motion, turning the branches of the candelabra until it appeared as though eight planets revolved around the center sun. Then the soulful music began. The first haunting notes were followed by the tuneful sound of a woman singing, followed by a chorus of others. My God! There was a tremor in the Rebbe's voice. The three men stood together silently, watching the menorah become a miniature solar system as the rising chorus filled the library. It wasn't until the final note of Amen floated through the air that they noticed they were no longer alone. The library was filled with awestruck faces. Men and women alike had come to the Rebbe's inner sanctum as the soulful notes filled the house. The first prayer ended, for a prayer was all the solemn sounds could be. Then the flame scuttered, slightly, and a bell sounded once, followed by a strong voice of a woman. Soon the first word was sung. She was joined by other voices. These voices started quietly at first, but grew in strength with each note. Books looked around him to see the congregation gathered in the Rebbe's study, singing a hauntingly familiar tune as tears rolled down their cheeks. A second bell chimed as the last note drifted off into the ether, leaving a silent congregation to watch as all but the center and the one furthest flame sank lower and lower until they were completely extinguished. Neskadol Haye Po A great miracle has happened here, the Rebbe's voice was reverent as it broke the silence. A chorus of agreement followed his pronouncement. Then, just as silently as they arrived, the congregation dispersed. Natalie waited until the room was clear of everyone but her father, books, and M.P. Montague. Her skin was still covered in goose flesh from the exhibition in her father's study. She wanted answers, 
In fact, she thought she might know some of them, but confronting her father so soon after he declared the singing menorah a miracle before his students and their families was not a step she wanted to take so soon after being welcomed home. Father, you should be with your maman in the kitchen. Papa, I must look at the menorah. No, it is written. Women may not touch what is holy. The rabbi barked without turning around. The words snapped around the room, whipping everyone in their path. Natalie took a deep breath before stepping forward into the icy chill that surrounded the three men. She glanced quickly around, first at the MP, then at books. Montague stood stiffly, his lips set tersely and eyes focused on the wall across from him. Natalie was not sure if his displeasure was directed at her or her father, but that barely mattered. She was of little consequence. It was Book's expression that surprised her. While Natalie did not know Book's well, she knew him well enough from her brief observations around the ministry to know he was a gentle, kind-hearted man who kept mostly to himself and his beloved archives. She heard the rumors, of course, of a life no one in the ministry knew about. It was because of this image of a gentle, learned man that the pure vitriol flashing in his eyes was so surprising. Natalie caught his eye just as Books leaned forward with clenched fists. A soft shake of her head warmed in moth. Attacking the Rebbe would not be suitable on any occasion, but definitely not when, in his world, he was correct. Natalie just had to remember she no longer lived in his world. Natalie took a deep breath and marched to the far side of the table holding the menorah, looking her in her father's eyes for the first time since she re-entered the home in which she grew up. Rabbi Hart, Papa, today I am not your daughter. Today I am here on behalf of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, and this menorah is definitely peculiar. It must be investigated. It is of the Jewish people. It does not belong to the queen or ministry. The Rebbe was stone. His arms were crossed akimbo, and he was staring at his wall of books. Natalie knew this expression well. This was the Rebbe as a warrior. The last time she saw her father stand this way was her last day under his roof the day he declared her dead to him. A daughter who wished to study mechanics and work in one of Her Majesty's ministries rather than make a political marriage was not welcome in his home. But this time she saw something new. Her father was afraid. Not of the beautiful machine before him, but that he would lose it just as he had lost her. Natalie sighed softly. She had not realized how difficult her choice had been for her father. In order to survive being dead to her family, Natalie constructed a world where her father made his decision and never thought or spoke of her again. That world hardened her heart and allowed her the strength to stay her course. 
Now her imagination was faced with the reality, the reality that her father was truly in mourning for his daughter, for the villages destroyed by the pogroms, and for the loss of the last piece of one of those villages. Fear and sorrow were not the way to start a joyous festival like Hanukkah. Papa, what if I promised that the menorah would be back with the congregation in time for candlelighting tomorrow? Miss Hart, I am not sure. Book's words were cut off with a single withering glance from Natalie. She would figure out how to ensure the menorah was back in the hands of her father and his congregation, even if it meant she would have to leave the ministry to do so. You would do that for us? Of course, Papa. Why wouldn't I? I can think of a few reasons. Just because you declared me dead in your eyes doesn't mean I am dead. Nor does it mean I don't miss home and our community, Papa. I know you will take care of it, treasure it even. I truly don't see a reason for you not to have it. As long as it's safe, I'd rather not give the community something that could harm them. And if we cannot return the menorah, please rest assured, Rebbe, that it will be well taken care of, Books chimed in quietly. Natalie smiled softly. She knew she would be up against Books' insatiable curiosity. While she was determined to return the menorah, Books had a mission to collect and catalog the most interesting pieces the ministry could find. She hoped there was nothing so interesting to keep him intrigued in the menorah. Keeping her promise was important on so many levels. The rabbi looked up between Natalie and Books, moving his head from side to side as if sizing up the enemy. It will be treated with respect, no? And return tomorrow? Yes, Papa. On your honor? Yes, Papa. The Rebbe turned and slowly walked towards the door, head down slightly, shoulders hunched. He looked far older than Natalie remembered. He looked even older than when she first saw him this evening. She felt a small tear in her heart as she realized she might not have much time left with either of her parents. Perhaps bringing the menorah back the next evening would not be such a chore. Miss Hart, Book's voice broke through Natalie's melancholy reverie. Yes, sorry. Natalie stepped towards the desk looking for a cloth or box in which to place the menorah before realizing she did not know how to stop the flames which were, at this point, dancing a jolly jig. Might I suggest we wait until after the festivities tonight before you take the menorah back to the ministry? M.P. Montague asked. It may be the flames extinguish on their own. Perhaps this way we can introduce Mr. Books to Latkes and Sufganyot. And perhaps, Miss Hart, you can take that dreidel you've been playing with out of your pocket and have a game or two. I I hate to ask, but what are Sufganio? 
Book's face was so completely befuddled that both Natalie and M.P. Montague burst into laughter. Just a fucking yacht? Not confused by latkes, Mr. Books? Or dreidel? M.P. Montague boomed. No, quite confused by all of it, actually. I have to admit my knowledge of the Hebrew holidays is quite limited. Well, Mr. Books, let me be the first to welcome you to the tribe. After you, Miss Hart. Smiling broadly, Natalie swept out of the library, reaching into her pocket to toy with the small bronze dreidel resting there. She led the small procession of three towards the merry sounds of celebration and wonderful smells of fried food emanating from the parlor. Perhaps it would be a happy Hanukkah after all. Natalie was still humming Hanukkah songs the next afternoon. A smile broke broadly across her face as she remembered the looks of absolute joy on everyone's faces as the brass dreidel she had made burst into small fireworks displays every time it landed on the gimel, the letter representing the word miracle, and coincidentally, the letter that allowed the winner to receive the entire pot of pence. Miss Hart, if I could see you for a moment, Dr. Sound's quiet request from the door of his office caused Natalie to jump slightly. Yes, sir, she asked as she entered the office. Sitting in the middle of his desk was the menorah her father had entrusted with her the evening before. She remembered the feel of his talus wrapped around the branches of the candelabra that had rotated back from the circular formation a flat one as soon as the flames extinguished themselves at the end of the festivities the evening before. The entire community had watched in stunned silence as the flames began to lower, then gutter, before flickering out. Once the flames were extinguished, the gears whirred and clicked. Then suddenly the menorah was back to the way it had been at the beginning of the evening. Your report was quite intriguing and thorough. It gave Dr. Blackwell quite a bit to work with as she investigated the menorah this morning. Thank you, sir. Natalie's curls bounced slightly as she swallowed quickly, hoping Dr. Sound would not notice her nervousness. But you neglected to mention the top. What is it Mr. Books called it? A dreidel? Yes? Oh, sir, it was just a toy. But a toy you crafted, yes? The butterflies from the day before returned in full force. Yes, sir. On my own time, I swear, I did not use a single ministry resource. Dr. Sound smiled softly. Dear girl, do you think you are in trouble for crafting such a marvel? With no training, no less? Natalie nodded quietly. No, child, but I think a change of assignment is in order. Dr. Blackwell has agreed to take you on as an assistant. Would that be of interest to you? Y yes, sir. Then report to the lab when you return. When I return? I believe you are meant to return... 
and restore a certain menorah to a certain community, we have decided that it would be far better tended to in the hands of those who know more of its meaning than sitting in the archives. There are, of course, some provisions, such as it must be inspected at least once a year, but I am sure the community will find that we are being quite fair in this matter. And you wish me to take it back? Yes, as quickly as possible, if you do not mind. Natalie walked over to the desk and carefully wrapped the menorah in her father's talus, relishing the feel of the soft white fabric and the knotted strands that decorated the ends of the prayer shawl as it wound around the beautifully wrought menorah. As soon as it was securely wrapped, Nellie turned to leave the office. Do not forget, Ms. Hart, Dr. Sound handed Natalie a letter sealed with the mark of the ministry. Yes, sir. Just so you know, as part of the letter, I mentioned your promotion. Sir, it, in hopes of smoothing things over with your father, I'm sure he will be proud of your accomplishments. Oh, that I am not so sure of, sir. That is a shame, Miss Hart. I know I would be if I were your father. That is kind of you, sir. Thank you. With that, Natalie took her carefully bound package out of the office, retrieved her coat, hat, and gloves. Soon she was sitting in the back of a ministry carriage bouncing across London. As she traveled, a ray of the winter sun shot through the window, causing a rainbow of light to dance in the carriage. A smile crossed her lips, the first true smile in almost a year. She was going to be working with Dr. Blackwell. She was traveling home to speak with her parents as an equal. She was holding a great marvel, entrusted by two communities with its safekeeping. Perhaps there were miracles in the world after all. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Ministry Protocol or to pre-order Dawn's Early Light, coming in March 2014. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.